Hello, and welcome to the Marketing Times Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Safranis, and today I'm on with Joe Sheehan. Joe, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks, Alex. Uh, my name is Joe Sheehan. As you mentioned, I am the CEO and co-founder of Tapped Innovations. Uh, we go by Tapped In, and we primarily focus on doing marketing and technology solutions for bars and restaurants. Very cool. Um, what are some of the analytical questions that you answer for restaurants? So analytics is something that we heavily led with uh, when we launched Tapped In in 2018. And oddly enough, uh, it was it was a value proposition that resonated, it sounded cool to a lot of our clients, but once we got started, it was something they didn't uh, talk about very much. And really what allowed us to focus on is their needs and what they saw our core value proposition being. And it wasn't necessarily uh, analytics and data. It was to make their lives easier and their businesses more successful. Uh, so, for example, uh, last time we spoke about we had this we still do this Wi-Fi marketing analytics solution where we'll put a guest Wi-Fi network up at a restaurant. Uh, the customers will log in, they'll see the branded uh, SSID, the network name, and instead of having Comcast uh, ask for uh, the password, the password is going to be their email address. So they enter their email address and they'll see some information about the restaurant and then they're redirected to see another landing page that would have some more information that could be something about you know, a special event they have coming up, a new menu item, things like that. And it also had a presence data tracking tool and that we could we could tell how often we're seeing different devices how long they're there so we got dwell time repeat visit uh, we could even do uh, guest count or foot traffic outside and we noticed that nobody was ever logging in to see this information so we started sending it out to them via email and then they would click on it in the beginning and then eventually we were sending out these emails we saw that they weren't even ever getting opened and what we just heard from our clients is that uh, that's just, that's cool and it's nice, but if it's not extremely actionable, um, just just make sure that it's working. And they kind of just want us to, to do the work for them and, and aren't as capable or willing to dig in and spend time with that data. Before we continue, here's a quick word from our sponsor, Adverity. Marketing is a thankless task. You go through all the trouble of setting up your campaigns, perfecting your messaging, and targeting your customers. But when it comes to revenue, who gets all the credit? That's right, sales. Well, it doesn't need to be this way. Adverity is the marketing data analytics platform that lets you easily monitor performance and link it to actual revenue in your company. What's more, the advanced analytics module will also give you predictive insights into how best to adjust your campaign spend based on the best ROI. Go to info.adverity.com slash MXA for a free demo. Again, that's info.adverity.com slash MXA for a free demo. And now back to the podcast. That's, I think, a very common issue uh, across analytics is having metrics um, but not connecting them to actions that you can take or levers that you can pull uh, related to the business. So the only analytics that matter are the ones that can drive a decision. And so, and if I'm understanding correctly, what your clients were looking for was what's the decision, not necessarily what are the inputs to the decision? Because that that does take kind of a more analytical person to sort through and be interested in on an ongoing basis. So how did you solve that uh, problem with with that decision that they were looking for? We internalized it a lot more. So we will look at data and make decisions internally and not bother them with the minutia. Um, whether it's just monitoring what's working, what's not, and adjusting, you know, they don't always even see everything that we are doing you know, behind the scenes to, to make them successful, and that's what they want. Uh, so unless there's a decision that needs to be made where they, they, they're the ones that has to make that decision, they appreciate just trusting that we'll take care of them and we'll do the best job for them and make the best decisions behind the scenes. I think that's a really good solution. 
what is sort of the structure of your team? So there's uh, a sprawling team. Uh, we've got two co-founders uh, and one other employee and then a handful of contractors, whether they're social media specialists or software developers. Um, yeah, we, we have it dispersed. There's a few of us that are kind of core with our fingers on everything and some people very uh, focused on, on different elements of the business. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So definitely, um, maybe maybe we should talk about um, starting a business and your just your experience, you know, in entrepreneurship. Can you tell us a bit, a bit about your history? Yeah, so I actually used to manage restaurants. Um, so in my 20s, that's pretty much what I did after uh, graduating from college. And then I went back to business school and I discovered entrepreneurship. And I didn't know what I was doing or what I wanted to focus on in particular when I went back to business school. I just knew that I wanted to explore other opportunities. I felt that I was getting kind of pigeonholed in uh, restaurant management and that it wasn't necessarily going to be what I wanted to do forever. And so I thought going back to school full time would allow me to kind of think more broadly and maybe discover something. But I also always wanted to ideally you know, leverage my experience from, from the restaurant industry. But I, I wound up concentrating in finance and entrepreneurship, and it was really entrepreneurship that captured my attention. I always like to say that I had met one person who called himself an entrepreneur, and I thought he was arrogant for saying it. Um, I thought there was basically, you know, business owners, uh, but this idea of an entrepreneur, kind of like this Elon Musk character who uh, starts that that's what they do is start businesses. It was something that hadn't really crossed my mind at the time. And then as I got more into it, I was fascinated to it and drawn to it. And so uh, we launched a, a startup during uh, grad school. Then I joined one directly after that. Then I started uh, my own. And this is the second one that was kind of a spin out of that. So, you know, I loved the ability to merge those two worlds, the restaurant world, which I'm passionate about, but didn't necessarily want to spend the rest of my life running uh, the day-to-day operations uh, and in this small business ownership, uh, hopefully become a big business ownership. Now, the only thing that uh, I would recommend is, is, is in hindsight, obviously, uh, it was a really rough period for, for bars and restaurants. And so to sell them a tool, a solution, a service, um, obviously during the pandemic, was extremely challenging. We had a, a good run up until March of 2020. Uh, we had a rough year after that, and we've been uh, emerging and growing steadily ever since. Very good to hear. How would you say that graduate school played a role in your transition from the restaurant industry to entrepreneurial life? Although I thought of myself as somewhat entrepreneurial, uh, I, I can't imagine I ever would have done what I'm doing now if it wasn't for grad school. That it really just gave me the opportunity to explore different interests, to see what the world had out there. Um, when you're a child, you know, you, you, you think of the things that you want to be. And, and obviously, I, I didn't become a star running back for the Green Bay Packers. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you have a very limited set of of professions that you even know about. You know, it's the doctor, dentist, lawyer kind of sports star uh, type options. And so entrepreneurship, again, it was just something that I was exposed to and I saw it as a career path. And I can't imagine, you know, that I would have ever had the confidence to take that leap without having that foundation. And uh, what about your finance um, degree? Would you say that helped in starting your own business? Is it crucial? No, but it's definitely helpful. Um, you know, even at running a restaurant, you know, I had to look at the P&L and stuff like that, but I didn't really necessarily know how the uh, the uh, income statement was connected to the balance sheet and the cash flow statement. So it helped uh, give, a, again, a very strong foundation of, of understanding your business and what the different levers are and how it's all interconnected. Um, and as we go to, for example, raise funding, uh, having having an ability to talk about that confidently and pro forma statements has been very helpful. You got into analytics pretty early. How did you see the 
marketplace playing out when you started versus now in terms of the analytics technology offered? So I, I think in the beginning, I was just wowed by it. And like, we can track this, we can see this, like we can dive into this data. And really what I, I see the, the bigger paradigm shift is, and you kind of alluded to it earlier as well, it's like, what are you going to do with it? And in the beginning, when we got started, it was, it was just cool that we could do it. Um, but now the focus is much more, how do we make this meaningful and somewhat automated so we can offer value without it being, you know, hiring a, a major consulting firm that's going to dive into your, your data and give you uh, some suggestions because our target clients would never be able to afford that. Um, not that it's not helpful, but we need to put it on a platter form, give them some context and empower them to to do things without it being overly complicated and overly expensive. So I think that's that's the the shift that we're trying to do is take this and really simplifying it and making it more meaningful. Something came to mind when you were saying that, and I want to ask you because I think it's it'll be challenging, and I I'm very curious how you respond. So I was I was once talking to an executive, and he told me. It was a red flag if people talked about them being able to simplify complex ideas in an interview. He said that was a red flag for him. And it obviously it stuck with me for years because that is a very counterintuitive thing to say. And this is a, a very impressive, accomplished executive. This is, you know, uh, you know, something that I really took to heart and have been thinking about for years. And so I want to ask you, um, because from what you were just saying, that is really like a core value that you offer. So what's the argument against um, just uh, like simplifying? Can you can you do the devil's advocate uh, argument against it? Well, I, I would hate to dismiss his comment because there might be some wisdom in that that I haven't discovered. And obviously, this is the first time I'm hearing it. And like you, when you first heard it, it probably seemed counterintuitive. And to me, it is counterintuitive. To me, my firsthand experience is that you can give somebody a bunch of data, and it's it's usually meaningless until it actually can be compiled for them or in, or put on a platter, uh, essentially, for them to make a, a snap decision on it. Because my clients are buried in work. They don't have time or mental capacity to sit there and say, okay, now I'm going to dive into the analytics. They've got, you know, their, their to-do list, the things that have to get done. And then there's this long list of things that wouldn't it be nice to get done. And we take off that, all those things that are not on the, the core list. Like, you know, and, and I say the short list of things like making the food, making the order. So there is food and drinks at their establishment. Um, putting out a schedule, training, all those things consume uh, and running the actual shift consume the majority of the time. They have a, a fraction of time outside of that. They're expected to do everything else that a small business owner would have to do. And so we're trying to take off as many of those tasks as possible. And so I can't imagine them ever finding the time uh, to dive into their own data and find meaning and make it worth valuable to their time. Uh, because at the end of the day, every extra minute that they're there is another minute they're away from their friends and family, and that contributes to burnout. Um, so I, I, again, I would be very interested in hearing the the context and maybe some follow up from the executive. But I can't I can't jump in and play the devil's advocate uh, based off that yet. I've been thinking about this for quite a while, so I have an idea. It may be just like more about like most things, more about him than, it's more of a reflection of him than it is a reflection of the truth. Um, and, or maybe it is, you know, his truth. But what I mean by that is, um, imagine you were working with not just like some restaurants, but you only worked with three Michelin star restaurants, like the top restaurants on earth. And for them, you would not simplify. You would pull out 
all of the jargon and and they would understand it. Like these are well-run businesses that are innovative and are forward-thinking. And they have the executives that do want to dive in to some degree, more probably more so than the average person. He's one of those executives. So he's looking for people who don't specialize in simplifying, but rather specialize in innovating. I think that that might be the point behind it. And I think it's phenomenal. But I think it's it's not it's definitely not universal. Or even perhaps even a better example would be uh, chain. You know, you're talking to the chief marketing officer of McDonald's or, you know, some very large corporation where what they make and produce is almost irrelevant to them. It's about the numbers. Um, whereas, whereas the, you know, the Michelin star restaurants, they're likely more sophisticated in, in their business acumen, but they also don't need to market as much, you know, because this is a short list, you know, the Michelin star does a lot of that marketing for them. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> but it's true. He he might ha- he might not be wrong, but he might have been speaking truth for a very narrow yeah, exactly. sliver of, of his world yeah. or a certain world. Yeah, it's like he falls into a client audience that is obsessed with innovation. And those clients are not as interested in simplicity as the general audience. That, yeah. So interesting. I'm, I'm so glad that we talked about that because I, I feel like you're the perfect person, especially coming off of like the whole value proposition conversation because it's absolutely true as well. Like they're both true. It's just a difference of like client audience. Yeah. Like my honestly, like here's an example my clients in general don't speak marketing language. So if I say, you know, what channels are we going to use to reach them? Like, they think of channels on a TV. They don't think of marketing channels. So, you know, you have to adjust to your audience. And, you know, he, he was talking about a different audience, it sounds like. Yeah. Have you thought about expanding your audience that to an audience that may, like, be more interested in the raw data or something like that? Yes, we have. Uh and we actually do. We have some clients that are outside of the restaurant realm, you know, small businesses that have heard about us, uh, found us online, and we do service them as well. We just never seek them out. Um, but I have thought about, because let's be honest, restaurants, and if there's any restaurant owners or operators out there, um, I love you folks, and you know, you're my people. But unfortunately, they're usually not... Uh, flush with cash <laughs> very not you know so it might not even always be the best audience and best customer base in that sense um and i know like for example we've got you know a dentist um that we do some digital signage for and you know he's never batted an eye at an invoice you know oh so you gotta do lawyers kinda, kinda... the lawyers have the worst marketing everybody knows it <laughs> yeah i've thought about that i've thought about the, the lawyers and stuff but you know, if for us, to me, if, if I were going to do a marketing service-based company, I would have to agree that it probably wouldn't make sense to do independent restaurants and small chains like what we're focusing now. But the, the, the only reason I think that this is still a great audience is because we're trying to democratize it and trying to, to scale it using technology. And therefore, we can keep the prices low enough where it still can be positive for them. It's not going to crush their banks and still create a lot of value for our clients. And that's the only, only, only way I would go after independent restaurants is if we have this kind of tool that I think is more scalable because otherwise, you know, our competition, if you look at where they play in the marketplace, you know, any marketing service company kind of goes after those high end, something towards a Michelin star or larger chains that can afford uh, kind of this individualized uh, attention, but we're trying to kind of create something that's a little bit more scalable uh, using technology. Can you speak to to scaling a technology and some of the challenges that you had to overcome in order to do that? Yeah, so what we're actually trying to do is create the platform, a centralized hub uh, for either our clients or for us managing our clients, where we can log in and manage all of the 
the various tools and solutions that they need to be successful. And the challenge for a restaurant tour right now is that they've got so many tools that they have that they don't utilize. They, it's kind of the tip of the iceberg. They use it, you know, just a fraction of what it can do. And everything's so scattered and it's very disparate and they've got different logins and they, they don't even know how to access or do certain things. We want, we're trying to bring that into one platform where they can, let's say they want to change their, their uh, logo, for example. We, we can push their logo to all these different platforms that have it at one click of a button that syncs it with all of our, our own internal solutions as well as our partner solutions. And it's through those efficiencies uh, is where I think we are going to be able to compete on a, a different level than people that are doing just services. In a marketing technology landscape view, what future shifts or changes do you anticipate for the technology that we will use to track marketing, like in 10 years? What I'm seeing specifically for the restaurant world is a lot of these technology solutions that popped up in the last five years or so are starting to get out of their silos and, and starting to move to horizontal uh, solutions. So there's, there's a lot of uh, spread and consolidation uh, between different verticals. And that's, that's something that I feel is positions us well, because we are helping facilitate some of that. Um, but that's, that's the biggest trend that I've seen in the last couple of years is, is that we used to have a, a partner that would do something very specific and now they added something else and now they're kind of overlapping uh, with other services that either we offer or other partners do. And so the lines have gotten a lot more blurry lately. Yeah. And integration is so commonplace now that any, like, it seems like marketing technologies work together very well. Um, and that's just going to continue happening. So there's, there's going to be, it's going to be a tougher fight for land almost in the marketplace. Um, it's people are fighting to own the ecosystem, but because of integration of various platforms and how easy it is, it's unlikely that one party will completely take over the entire marketplace. Um, it's it's too slippery. There's there's new entrants like like yourself uh, that are innovating. And at the same time, somebody who is doing well in a certain vertical, they're now competing against a much broader pool of, of, of potential competitors because there's there's people that are sprawling in. They might buy one of their competitors and all of a sudden they're part of an ecosystem now that uh, even if they were dominant in their one vertical, they're competing against somebody who says, yes, we do that, but also we're integrated with this and this other thing. So it's harder to compete for, for these singular uh, tool type tech startups. Yeah, it's uh, it it's a true truly a stack where a marketing stack where you could just add on as many technologies as, as you want and just continue to reach to more people. I that's exactly where we're actually, you know, and I don't even say it's a brilliant move. We'll see if it's true or not, but that's exactly where we're playing is the is is that platform play where we have the the modular focus where we can plug different solutions in and out to create this this ecosystem that could win so we don't have to really focus on all the underlying uh, tools that we're partnering with have you thought about integrating machine learning into any of your offerings uh not not a whole lot um i mean i've thought about it but we haven't moved in that direction um much i think right now it's because we're still building the the database in the platform to aggregate a lot of that data but i definitely see that as the next level once we get all those pieces in place to what else can we do with this how do we make it again more efficient and again that machine learning allows us to provide a very powerful tool that doesn't have to be extremely expensive because you're not having, you know, a PhD data scientist reviewing your, your data or a person that, that has to do all of this stuff where it can be learned and automated. 
So I, that is something that we're seeing happening. We'd love to get there, but we just haven't moved in that direction too far yet. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's it's a big investment. And I think right now the challenge that a lot of businesses are facing is whether they should hire the data scientists necessary to create these you know, innovative tools in-house versus should they be hired externally. And the problem uh, with doing it as a third party is that complex data solutions require very good data infrastructure and very good data quality. And this is difficult to standardize across different clients. So the offering would have to change for the, depending on what the client has at, at their disposal to, to offer and what, what you can measure. So it is, you know, it, it, it's a very um, risky thing right now. Like this is the, the industry I don't think has solved the most efficient way to adopt machine learning into marketing. And it's, it's risky either way. Um, so it's kind of interesting. Yeah, that's a good point because a lot of our clients have uh, different solution sets and they might have, one might have three different solutions and might, one might have six or seven and then, you know, it's all different blended. So you have different inputs and each one of those are coming, perhaps like they have different POS systems. So the data is different. So yeah, they kind of normalize that data is, is important and then getting a consistent flow of the same types of data points. Yeah, and and to build it in house is like millions and millions of dollars and um, maintenance, a lot of maintenance. Um, that's like like anything. If you're going to own it, you have to you have to actually take care of it. And that's something we we actually talk about quite a bit lately. Is the build or buy, and we know that we could do some things. Uh, more inexpensively and we could save money by doing that but then you know we haven't baked in that maintenance cost and the more that we build the more i realize how how much that requires there's a lot of babysitting there's a lot of troubleshooting and if you have somebody who's uh building it you know and it's one person and they they leave um you know or they're let's say they're uh in for example, Ukraine, and it's uh, two in the afternoon here, and something goes down, and it's two a.m. there. <laughs> like then they're sleeping, and so you need to have a team that's not only uh, has the longevity that you know can stick around um, if you're doing it in house, but also that's big enough that and available enough uh, to have have that access to them. Would you say you're good at picking a team? I believe so. I believe that I have some great people around me and they could probably get better jobs and <laughs> they could probably, you know, get better pay and things like that. Um, but they must like it. They like the, the mission uh, because we really are uh, very focused on making restaurateurs lives better and their businesses more successful. Um, and, they 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 love the the culture of innovation and, and and so yeah I think we I've been blessed with with a great team and as we kind of end 2021 and move to 2022 we do plan on raising money and expanding that team oh, so wow. that's that's definitely on our short term goals here that's so exciting um what what would you say is important to you when you're getting to know somebody's character? What do you look for? Or or maybe character is too specific, but just when you're getting to know somebody that you might work with. Yeah, it, it's, it's never easy because some people are great at interviewing and some people are uh, great at executing that might fall flat on their face during a, a, a conversation. And I always like the, you know, especially when you're talking about a very small team that every teammate, uh, even a contractor, you know, if they're not pulling their weight, uh, they can be a huge distraction. And uh, so for, 
you know, when we talk about partnerships and there's equity perhaps involved for some of the bigger uh, team members that let's, let's work together first. Let's, let's try it before you buy it type of thing. So we don't spend a lot of time up front creating very complex uh, contracts and, and deals because usually after about two, three weeks, sometimes, you know, two, three months, you learn a lot more about whether that person's a good fit or not. And that's not always, you're not always able to do that, especially with a full-time person. But whenever possible, I love to say, hey, let's just do work on a project. We'll break something off that, that you can do on the side um, and we can just pay cash for that. And, you know, we can decide if we want to move forward after that because, you know, working with somebody uh, is going to reveal a lot more than any conversation it can. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I um, one of My main business mentor does the same thing with his business. Um, just like a project to get to know the working style, the communication style, just see if it, everything fits, if, if everybody vibes. It's really important. It, you know, it's like, it's the people you're going to be spending a lot of time with. Um, so that's, that's, that's good insight. Um, would you say you were always more discerning um, of people than, than your peers? I mean, you know, not everybody does hire people. So it's like, there, there must be something to your discernment of people. So I'm wondering, like, is this something you've learned over time or is it more of an innate thing that you capitalized on? I've been managing people in restaurants since my early 20s. Uh, it's, it's, it's a job that I've always enjoyed. Uh, and so I, I think it's been very natural and innate in me. Um, it's, it's just put on a microscope and, and even more challenging when you're doing it as a startup. Uh, every restaurant that I've managed, for example, that wasn't mine, um, I could, there's money to pay them. And, you know, when you're starting a, a startup from scratch, there always isn't that, but you've got to be a bit more creative. Um, so you have to be so much better at making sure that they're getting value out of the experience as well. And so not everyone's just looking for the highest paid job. And, you know, I don't, I don't blame people that are, um, but we need people that are much more excited about the opportunity and are willing to take a little bit of a chance because entrepreneurship is risky. It's risky for the entrepreneur, but it's also risky for, you know, quote unquote employees because they're banking on this being successful and maybe they don't have quite as much skin in the game, but there is an opportunity cost. So if they're not uh, building towards something that they either are passionate about love or, or has the opportunity to have a big payout at the end, then it's definitely not worth their time. And so, you know, like one of the things I can offer is what do you want to be working on? Like I've, I've got my plate full and I could use help in about a hundred different ways. And here's the things that I think are probably most important for me, but out of that list, where are you excited? uh, And what what draws your attention and letting them focus on things that they're passionate about the areas that they can build their own experience with. And those are some of the things that we can be a little bit more creative about than if you're working for a big company that says, here's the exact job description, you know, take it or leave it. That's really interesting. And it sounds like you really think about the motivations of the, uh, of the employee and like, what is, what are they getting out of this experience? What, you know, what are they thinking about? Um, are they going to get tired of this kind of work or, you know, is this something that will consistently excite them? And, and that is almost your perception of it's a, it's, it's their holistic compensation, right? It's like beyond just money, are you fulfilled in your life? And that, and, and you're trying to figure out, is this person the type of person who would be fulfilled doing this kind of work? Yeah. And even be more explicit in asking them, like, what are your goals what are your three, five, 10 year plans? Like, where do you see yourself? And a lot of times they haven't thought about that. And so I'll usually ask it. And if they don't have an answer right away, I say, well, don't just make something up on the fly. Like, you know, think about it. And then tomorrow or next week, we'll, we'll sit down and we'll talk about it. And then we can help create a plan for you. And, you know, so f- for example, uh, Janine on my team, I asked her that and she, she's 
started uh, right after college. So she didn't have a lot of real world experience, but now she's getting to put her hands on and touch every single area of marketing that we do, which is quite extensive. And, you know, that's really uh, exciting for her. And she knows if she was getting an entry level marketing job, first of all, they don't usually pay great money um, in, in that industry right away. But now she gets to see where she is really excited about stuff and, and what areas she wants to focus on. And then when we find out maybe she doesn't like certain things, well, the, our next hire could be somebody who could take on some of those things and get them off of her plate. And so being very uh, intentional about helping them build a career and helping this uh, be a big step uh, is, is I think, invaluable. And that's another reason why you know something like a startup might be a great opportunity for for some people. Yeah. How do you strike a balance between doing the activities that fulfills the employees and doing the activities that fulfill the needs of the business if they're at odds? Well, I, I tell everyone that, you know, you're you're gonna be sweeping the floors, you know, the proverbial, you know, sweeping the floors type stuff too. So so I, I try to be very upfront about that. There's going to be things that you don't like. If there's anything that you absolutely hate, we'll, we'll act quickly to, you know, put it on my plate or somebody else's. Um, but other than that, just knowing like, Hey, I I'm paying attention to that. I'm asking them, you know, often, you know, what they're enjoying, what they're not and saying like, if there's something that uh, we want to grow towards or away from, uh, we can work on that. And the important thing after that is showing them that there's actual steps towards it, even if it's not happening quickly, but it's not just lip service that, that I do care and I want them to, to enjoy what they're doing because I know that they're going to do a better job at that. And ultimately, it's not a, a long-term uh, strategy for either of us to have them do things that they, they're not super excited about. And fortunately for us, there's so much opportunity that there's like, like I said, my, my to-do list is long and it's, it's extremely broad. And so if, if somebody wants to take on stuff, then that just means I usually have to float towards something that they're not good at or don't like doing. Um, and I'm kind of that jack of all trades uh, myself. And you know, uh, just to say the next person we bring on uh, will have to at least be excited about this area to kind of help get to more of a, a normal balance. Yeah. And, and, probably also hiring, right? Like if there, if there really is like a big gap, then that sounds like a great reason to hire somebody. Yep. And uh, I think it was Chuck Templeton, um, an entrepreneur that I, I really respect. He, he always said like, let the pain of the business tell you what to build. And so to, the more I do, uh, you know, the more, and, and this is true in terms of like the more I do or we do for our clients, um, the more we fully understand the problem. So when we try to solve it, we know exactly what needs to be built to, to solve it versus um, just having your data point of one, your idea of what needs to get done and offer it and see if you can sell it um, to, to do everything and to know all the jobs and to do it manually uh, versus kind of the tack that we've taken to to know what we should be building um, you know, because now we're going on uh, over three years old now, and uh, we've done, we've swept uh, and done, mopped the floors for the restaurant a lot of these things. So we know exactly, like, man, if we just had this, if if this tool could just do that, our lives would be so much easier. And that's where we can focus our our software development. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, that that brings me to a thought that came up in a, a different episode, but it, it was the same concept of like, and, and I'll, I'll actually pose the same question to you. Um, because marketing is, you know, there, there is no ideal um, way to set up your marketing functions. The best that the best strategy is to make incremental steps towards, um, towards that, that optimal place. Um, instead of just trying to completely restructure everything, um, but instead identify the areas of weakness, areas of strength, and move, you know, accordingly. Um, and that will ultimately be more efficient, most likely, than just like scrapping the whole, you know, 
strategy, investment strategy, for example, and, um, you know, trying to recreate an optimal version of it. Would you agree with that? I do in most circumstances. I think there are some uh, visionaries like a Steve Jobs comes to mind where if he would have done that, uh, we wouldn't have had the iPod and the iPhone. Uh, he kind of leapt ahead and said, this is what I think everyone needs. I'm just going to build it. And unfortunately he, he was right. But more times than not, this kind of just taking a huge leap, you're going to build the wrong thing. And it, it takes a lot of time and money to get there. And so if you weren't right and you can't adapt quickly enough, a, a lot of people will, will be overextended and at the end of the rope and have to call it quits. But the slow and steady incremental learning the, the ropes, uh, understanding what needs to be done, doing small, uh, quick iterations. Uh, you know, I'm, I, when I got into entrepreneurship, a lot of it was the lean methodology and build, measure, learn, uh, quick loops. I'm a huge proponent of it. Uh, I'm not Steve Jobs. Uh, very few of us are. Um, you know, Elon must be in another one, but. Yeah, I think that's the safe and steady route that's going to uh, reduce your risk and get you more certainly towards something that's going to create value for your customers. Let me ask about um, selling marketing solutions. So can you talk to the difference between selling to small versus large customers um, and how the value proposition may change? Yeah, first I want to preface what's large and small to us. And the small, all of our clients are small. You know, we've got several multi-unit locations, but, you know, they're all well under 10, 10 units per location uh, or per, per company. And so within that range, though, I find that there is a pretty large spectrum of, of customer, you know, um, prototypes, you know, the, the uh, small independents, a lot of them never paid for marketing. They, they, they either didn't do it or they just kind of did a few things on the side. And therefore, when you're selling to them, they look at you as an expense. Like this is a new expense. And, you know, yeah, they say it's going to drive more business, but um, upfront, they're looking at the additional cost. Whereas you get somebody who, understands the value of marketing, which is usually the ones that have done it themselves, hired somebody else, uh, or have felt the pains from not doing it. Um, they're, they're looking at it is, is a godsend and that you're taking something off the plate and doing it well for them. Uh, and so the money isn't as important because they understand that it's actually going to a be cheaper than it would be if they had to, pay somebody, uh, you know, hire an employee. And that's another thing that we bring too, is it's not just uh, one person with one skill. You know, all of us have a limited skill set, even if we're very broad. Um, we, we have the technologists, we have software developers, we have marketing people, designers. Uh, they wouldn't be able to get that uh, without hiring a whole team, which is obviously not uh, feasible for most people for most companies they so they they really see us as a partner that that's filling a very valuable role uh and they're doing it and we can do it at a more efficient uh, price than if they had to hire each individual skill set do you have any advice to um entrepreneurs out there who want to build a business maybe around the restaurant industry or marketing or analytics um any any advice that you'd give them Yes. Um, as I think I told you before, I, I did teach uh, entrepreneurship at UIC as well. And the, the main problem that almost every first time entrepreneur has is that they think that they came up with an idea and that all they have to do is, you know, raise money to build this idea, idea and they'll be rich. And that idea stems from something that's interesting, but it's usually completely incomplete. <laughs> like it's just, it's just, it's a direction. It's a starting point. And what they need to do is talk to more potential customers right away. 
and engage them and involve them in the product development as things evolve so they know that they're actually building the right tool. And if somebody uh, has an idea and then five years later, they're working on the exact same idea and they haven't actually sold it or they, or they've, um, you know, not even either can't sell it or because they're in their parents' basement, still quote unquote building it. Uh, it's really dangerous. So uh, the concern always is for, for, first-time entrepreneurs that someone's going to steal this brilliant idea that I have. And that's almost never the case. And obviously nothing is is certain, but the risk of not involving customers and trying to sell it to them before it's ready, uh, because that's the only way you really find out if you're solving a problem for them. Because if you talk to a restaurant uh, owner operator and say, Hey, I got, I'm thinking about this tool. It does this and this. They might say, oh, that sounds cool. And then you go and you spend a year or two trying to build it in your brain to them. And they go, eh, no thanks. And you say, well, I thought you said it was cool. Like, yeah, it kind of is. But, you know, when you ask them to to pay for something, that's when you really know if it's solving a problem that they care about. Like I said, they have a 101 things to do in a given day. And so you know, these are all problems that could be solved for them. But they're not going to pay for 101 solutions. There's a much... A shorter list of things that will actually uh, motivate them to to pull out their uh, checkbooks, and I always say that even though I know no one writes checks anymore. Um, but that's when you know you actually have something that matters. So talk to your customers right away. Try to get to the point where you try to sell it to them before you even have something. Because the worst case scenario is they say, "Yeah, I'll take it." And they say, "Okay, I'll be back when it's done." And they might be a little annoyed at first, but they're not going to lose any sleep over that because they didn't have a solution to it towards it anyways. But at least you know at that point they actually were willing to buy it. Would you say that building um, a social media following would be beneficial in launching a business later in life? Or would you say it should go the other way around? Well, it's easier the other way around. It's easier to get people to follow you when you've got something that everyone knows and loves. But uh, in the beginning, I think it's important to leverage networks, whether it's social media or having a database of, of people uh, that you've worked with, um, you, you'd be amazed like somebody who like, oh, I don't have to write down their information. Uh, I'll remember that in five or six years, um, you know, as you, your worlds kind of grow apart, uh, it's not as easy to even remember that person. So whether you have a large social media following, uh, you know, right away, it, it's usually a lot better and it doesn't have to be social media. I know not everyone's into social media, so you don't have to necessarily have uh, a Twitter account or a Facebook account or any one of them in particular, but you should be finding a platform that you can establish yourself as a thought leader in a specific area and nurture that. So when you are ready to launch something, uh, you have a at least these, this network of people that are more friendly and can help uh, boost you. Um, when you're starting from scratch, it's definitely a lot harder, not impossible. But uh, it, it's definitely a good idea for someone to find a platform that they like, that they enjoy uh, engaging on and, and build something. Just like for businesses, having that database of, of customers and clients that they can uh, talk to and communicate with when they, when they need to is extremely important. And that's what caught a lot of restaurants in a very bad position when March 2020 hit and their restaurants got shut down. Because they didn't have a way to reach out to these people besides when they're sitting at their bar or at their dining room table um, because they didn't build a, that list and that ability to reach out to them and connect with them when they're not inside of their four walls. Yeah, so you're saying like of having a first party data platform that has like basic CRM info and information maybe about like data that's collected you know around the business that that might be useful for analytics like the these are definitely important and especially as we move into the next decade of privacy regulation first party data is going to be probably the only data that that we'll be able to see in a non-anonymized format yeah there's gonna be a lot of changes uh, to how we are able to collect data and and share data and what we can do with that. So uh, the more the more you have about the people you need to contact, uh, the better. And you know, staying staying abreast of different trends because 
things are changing quite a bit. I think like laws, for example, are usually several years behind the innovation. Uh, so things that we can do today uh, might not be here tomorrow, and that that can cause quite a quite an issue for places. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, do you have any um, any interesting um, like life lessons or things you've learned over the years that you want to share? I mean, we it depends what direction you want to go here. <laughs> um, you know, in regards to startups and, and entrepreneurship, I, I really touch on what I believe wholeheartedly of engaging customers early and often uh, into those conversations. Um, if I'm speaking directly to restaurateurs, um, the the kind of the pitch from before the pandemic to now is things are changing and a lot of our clients didn't they resisted it and it was finally when their restaurants got shut down that they got the wake-up call like okay now i'm forced to change and so i can't i literally physically legally can't do business the way that i used to and so it it's just always good to you don't have to be ahead of every curve um, but if you want to be in business, uh, you have to at least be paying attention and finding somebody who, whether it's a partner, an external partner or an internal partner who might be more interested in things uh, that revolve around your business instead of just making the best burger in town. Um, because you can you can have a great burger and you can still get crushed if you're not thinking uh, about where the industry is going to be headed next. And if you're not interested in doing that, if you just want to focus on the burger, that's fine. But you should have somebody in your life and your company that that can focus on those areas. I think that's a great note to end on. Um, thank you, Joe, for, for coming on. This has been a really great discussion. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. And for everyone listening, I actually have never offered this before, but I want to say please add me on LinkedIn. Um, I'd love to chat with you and um, get to know you. So that's my final note. Um, thank you, everyone. We'll talk to you soon.